Pharaoh's And it came, came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war, and they return to Egypt. And uh, I find this verse very in- interesting to me. Um, there are so many principles that are taught very clearly in the New Testament that are illustrated very plainly in the Old Testament. And I think this is one of those, those principles that is so vividly taught. And that is this, that God understands uh, exactly how much you and I can tolerate as humans. That's pretty impressive for God to be able to do because if you think about this, um, there are times when I'm teaching my son math, okay? Now, I've taught math for a lot of years, and I taught high school math and um, algebra, algebra 2, geometry, and things like this. And so I have a, to me, math math just, I, I just know it. You know, I, you think of a problem, and it just pops in your head, and you just know it. And and when my son is doing the math, I don't I don't have the patience, and I don't understand why he doesn't just get it, why it doesn't just pop in his mind that way. Any of you ever been that way with teaching somebody something? Maybe not math, but you know what I'm saying? Uh, why don't they just get it? You know, it's just it's right there. And, and can you imagine God knowing everything, and there's man who's got a finite mind, who can't quite understand everything, and he looks down and he says, they ought to be able to take that. <laughs> why can't they take that? Why can't they get that? Why can't they just have faith to trust me? But, you know, we have a God that knows exactly how much you and I can tolerate by way of our faith. And it's interesting to me that He does not put anything on us more than we are able to bear. In fact, the New Testament teaches us that uh, in the subject of temptation or testing that God puts upon us, that He doesn't put those things upon us um, any more than we're able to bear. And uh, we get to this part of of, uh, this chapter and we find that God knows, doesn't he? Uh, he said, he even explains it here. He said, you know, they could have gone through the land of the Philistines. It would have been a lot shorter. But he said, there were some things that I knew were going to be a hindrance to them and cause them perhaps to repent and say, no, we're going back to Egypt. As the easy way, okay, let's, take, let's, let's say God's giving them the easy way. Even in the easy way, the nation of Israel still said, why did you bring us out of the land of Egypt? We should have just stayed there, didn't they? Could you imagine what would have happened had God taken them the hard way? It, it would have just it would have destroyed them. It would have been more than they could have uh, 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 more than they could bear. And so God does this uh, interesting thought here. Sometimes we say, God, why don't you why don't you direct me a different way than the way that you're directing me, my steps? And the answer to that is this: sometimes. There are hidden dangers that you and I cannot see, that God does see, and He keeps us from them. I think one of the great joys when we get to heaven is going to be the times that we look back and we can see the times that God has kept us from something. You ever, you ever pray for something and, and it didn't turn out the way you were praying? And at first you're disappointed and then months or sometimes years later you look back and you say, Whew, I'm glad that prayer didn't work out the way I thought it should. God kept me from that. Uh, somebody said it this way, be careful what you want, you might get it. And um, God, why is it, if we understand this about God, why is it that we don't trust Him more? 
Why is it that we don't just say, you know what, I'm going to pray for this matter, but at the end of the day when I'm done praying, I'm going to leave it in God's hands that He knows best. That He's got everything under control. He knows and sees things that I don't know and see. George Mueller, who was a man over in England who uh, began some, some uh, orphanages, a man of prayer. If you've never read or studied the life of George Mueller, fantastic book. You ought to read his biography. And uh, a man of prayer. It's a miraculous thing. He, uh, I'll give you just a couple illustrations. He built this, this huge uh, orphanage for the, uh, the kids in, um, in, uh, in the area and uh, had prayed, and, and literally God miraculously did it. They, they had enough for, I don't know, maybe 100, 150 kids in this orphanage. And the day came for him to open the doors. And, and George Mueller, if you read the story up to that time, uh, there was one thing after another that he prayed for because he didn't have two nickels to rub together. I mean, he didn't have any money. And God just kept providing and providing and providing and providing. And finally, the day came. They were opening the orphanage, and not one kid came into the orphanage. And he was discouraged that night, and he came back, and he said, You know what? I prayed for everything except children. <laughs> so he prayed for children that night, and the next day, that orphanage was filled to capacity. God opened the windows of heaven. But George Mueller said this. When it came to his prayer life, he said, I do not come to God in prayer until I have no will of my own. I thought, boy, what a great way to approach prayer. Burdened for somebody, yes. Concerned enough to pray about it, yes. But he, he, his mindset was this. I'm going to give it to God, and I'm just going to trust that He'll take care of it. I'm going to let that be in His hands. And George Mueller was a phenomenal man of prayer, phenomenal man of faith. There were times that uh, they had nothing to feed the children. And they would sit down at the dinner table and give thanks for the meal that God was going to provide. <laughs> That's how much of a man of faith this man was. And time and time again, while they were praying, or shortly after, a knock would come on the door, and there would be somebody at the door with a meal for all those kids. All that we would learn to trust God. We're in the middle of coronavirus and COVID. Are we concerned about it? Sure. Are we concerned enough to pray about it? Absolutely. We have loved ones and friends. I've lost some friends already to this that have, that have passed away and died from COVID. Had many friends that have recovered from it. And I do pray about it. But I don't lose sleep about it at night. I leave it in God's hands. And all that we would learn to have some faith in these areas. Uh, then we go on in verse number 18. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of... Uh, by the way, uh, they, they were ready for the Egyptians, I think, when they left. They were like, are they really going to let us do this? And uh, they were ready. Had the Egyptians come after them, I think they were... The children of Israel were, were going to try to do something there. Because uh, it says they were harnessed, and the idea of that is that they uh, had their their weapons ready, and they they had you know they were just kind of skittish and looking over their shoulder, kind of uh, the mindset that I get from that uh, in verse number eighteen. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn to the children of Israel, saying, "God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones away hence with you." And they took their journey from Succoth and encamped in Ethan on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud and led them uh, the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and by night, uh, by day and night. 
And he took away not the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Now, this is very interesting to me <clears throat> that uh, God leads his people. And this is something that I struggle with. I, I'm one of these kind of guys that uh, I tend to, to want to get ahead of God if I'm not careful. My desire is when I think there's something good to be done, I, I just want to jump out there and let's start it. Let's get it going. And yet sometimes we need to wait for God's direction, God's leading. And he goes before the nation of Israel. We're going to see it a little more vividly as we get to uh, chapter number 14. I want you to look with me. And I don't know if we'll get that far yet today or not. But the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before uh, Pehahiroth, uh, between Migdal and the sea, over against uh, Baal-Zephon, before it, shall be, uh, it, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will save the children of Israel that are entangled in the land, or they are entangled in the land, and the wilderness hath shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Here we go again, verse number 4. God is hardening Pharaoh's heart again. You would think by now that, that Pharaoh and the people of Egypt and the people of the world would have seen and been convinced in their hearts that God is the one true God. And yet God found it necessary one more time in verse number 4 to harden Pharaoh's heart for the purpose of, and he tells us this, um, he said, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. We look at that and we say, How many times does God have to beat them over the head, it seems like, to get them to realize that he is God? And we look at that critically of the, of the people of Egypt and Pharaoh, but we have to be careful about being overly critical. Because how many times in our life, being children of God, who have called upon the Lord to save us by faith, how many times do we forget that He is the one true God, the Almighty God, the one that sees and hears all, the one that goes uh, before us and behind us, the one that leads our path and defends us, the one that's our fortress and our high tower. And so often we, we think of God, and I heard a fellow say it this way one time, I thought it was a good illustration. Sometimes we get to the place in our lives where we think of God as an Aladdin's lamp type of a God. Where when we need Him, we go and get Him off the shelf and say, Okay, God, I need you to help me out of this predicament. And He does. And if we're not careful, that's the way we'll think of Him. And then when the, the crisis is over and God has done what He's going to do, we, we tend to say, Okay, God, you can go sit back over there on the shelf again while I deal with the rest of my life until the next problem arises. But yet we need to live every day with the conscious view that God directs our steps. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart, and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. We, so oftentimes in the Psalms we've read that, the, the, that God's Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, that it will uh, keep us from sin. Uh, we hide His Word in our hearts that He will not that we will not sin against Him. Uh, the idea that His precepts and His testimonies are our counselors and how that they guide us and direct us. And if we're not careful, we'll go through our week uh, very focused on God on Sunday. Uh, we do that a lot. We we are boy, I'm thankful for a whole day. We get to worship God and think about God and come to God's Word. 
And then we think about maybe Wednesday night. Boy, I can't wait. Get there Wednesday night. We get to hear more about God. What about Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? Are we thinking the same way about God as we do on Sunday? Are we thinking about Him the same way that we do on Wednesday? We look at the, the Egyptians, and they knew that He was the one true God, but they didn't, they didn't keep that constantly before them, I don't think. Otherwise, God would have had no need to harden Pharaoh's heart another time yet for the purpose of making sure that the Egyptians knew that He was God. Now notice as we get to verse number 5, the Bible says, And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this, that, uh, that we have let Israel go from serving us? Now, uh, I want to I want to try to help you with something. We're going to take just a couple minutes to explain this, and then we'll probably have to end it there and, and pick up next Sunday. The story of the children of Israel coming out of uh, of Egypt is a great picture and illustration of our salvation. Um, and I, I've said this before: while there are a lot of Old Testament pictures, not all of them are. Uh, exactly in line with everything. You can't illustrate every point of that principle, but they illustrate much of the points. And uh, one of the things, and I don't want to over-spiritualize this thing, but there's no doubt that God at at the Passover um, redeems the children of Israel by blood, um, and and by the sprinkling of the blood, they are saved. When I see the blood, He says, I will pass over you. And so we find that. And that's a picture of the moment of salvation where the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is applied to our account. And uh, then we are uh, seen as uh, perfect. We are seen with God's record, the Lord Jesus Christ's record. But understand that the Christian life is a journey of coming out of Egypt. Egypt is a sign of the world or a picture of the world. And though we get saved at the moment of salvation and we're going to go to heaven... There will be a constant draw and a constant pull back into the world. It's going to be constantly a journey, a wandering, trying to get further and further away from the world. And then notice this in verse 5, that if we take that that picture, that illustration, the world is not going to like the fact that we've gone to the Lord Jesus Christ. Their hearts are going to be hardened to it many times. They're going, to, they're going to look at it and say, boy, I'll tell you, uh, I don't know why in the world that fellow trusted Christ. He's gotten religion. He's, boy, look at him now. He thinks he's better than everybody else. And he began to start coming after us and ridiculing us and giving us a difficult time. And again, we see this so vividly pictured as we get down into this. And uh, look with me just real quickly. We'll go a little bit further. Uh, he says this in verse number 6. And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with a high hand. Now, I love this, and, and we're going to talk about it a little bit further next week. But uh, Pharaoh pursues after them, just like the world is going to pursue after us. Satan's not going to give up on trying to wreck your life. He knows he can't have your soul now, but he's going to do everything he can to wreck your life. And he's going to pursue hard after you. In fact, he's going to come after you with his armies and with his legions. He's going to come after you with everything he's got. And that's why the Bible tells us that we are to put on the whole armor of God. Because Satan is, it's understood when Paul teaches that we're to put on the whole armor of God, it's understood that the wiles are coming. He doesn't even argue the point. 
He says, you need to be ready when those wiles come, when those fiery darts come. You need to be ready for them. He doesn't, he doesn't even have to prove the point that they're coming. That's understood. Just like Pharaoh pursuing after the nation of Israel, so the world and Satan will pursue after a Christian and try to do everything they can to cause harm and to destroy that Christian. Notice what it says here. I love this in verse number 8. The Bible says that the children of Israel went out with a high hand. <clears throat> the high hand is a hand of not timidity, but with almost a, a hand of, of victory, a hand of, uh, I hate to use the word arrogance, but uh, uh, not, not with timidity, okay? That would be probably the best way to word this. The Bible talks about there being sins that are committed that uh, are high-handed sins against God, meaning that they are defiant. Hey, you know, God, who are you to tell me? And we sin knowingly and willingly in what the Bible refers to as a high-handed sin, that we are coming to God with, an, with a, um, a superior attitude that He does not have the right to tell us what to do. And this is the attitude that the nation of Israel had. By the way, in this sense, it's not a bad thing. We're not talking about high-handed sins here. These children of Israel are saying, hey, we've been delivered from Egypt. We're walking out of here, and boy, we're going. And I'll tell you this, when we get saved, we need to come out not with timidity from the world. We need to come out with boldness, with victory. The fact that, boy, I'm telling you what, I'm saved, saved, saved. That world's never going to get me again. I may succumb to some temptations here and there, but sin does not have power over me anymore. Death and hell and the grave, they have been defeated in my life, and I now have got a home in heaven for all of eternity. Can I tell you this? We can walk out of the world high-handedly with victory in the Christian life. I love that statement in this, in this verse. These children of Israel, you can almost hear the jubilance in their voices. Uh, some of these young guys, they probably strutting their stuff coming out of Egypt. Yeah, take that, Pharaoh. And that's kind of the idea that it's giving here. And I like that. Because when we get saved, we need to understand sin hath no more dominion over us. We are not under the law anymore. We are not bound in sin. We're not under the law of sin and death. We're now walking in the Spirit victorious. And all that we would learn to walk in victory. I think if we could learn to walk in victory, to recognize that God has delivered us not only from the penalty of sin, but from the effects of sin, the work of sin in our lives. We have the ability to overcome those things now. I think it would help us to have a lot more victory in the Christian life if we had that kind of attitude. I am saved, saved, saved. Shout it from the mountaintops. Proclaim it everywhere we go. I'm still a sinner that's saved by the grace of God, but I'm thankful sin does not have dominion over me anymore. I have been delivered from it. Is it going to tempt me? Sure. We're going to talk a little bit about that. We'll see some of that pictured in chapter 14. And I love these pictures as they're drawn for us. And these are real events that actually happened. Isn't that amazing how God orchestrated all of this? And then he illustrates it and makes it a point and a principle in the New Testament. And what a joy it is. We'll pick up there next week. It gets more and more gooder as we go along in chapter 14. Uh, it's going to be exciting. So 
be praying for it, and uh, we'll be dismissed and be back in about, oh, maybe 15 minutes or so. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We pray that you'll bless it and use it. I pray that you'll guide us and direct us through it. And Lord, may we, uh, with joy in our hearts, see all of the things, the wondrous things out of your law that you have for us. Pray that you'll bless the service to follow. Lord, speak to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.